In the name of Jesus, uh, dear friends in Christ, this summer I was talking to a neighbor, and I'll say it's none of you since a lot of you live in the same subdivision I do, and he was bemoaning the fact that he had a lot of weeds growing in his yard. And there's no doubt there were a lot of weeds growing far and wide and deep. As a matter of fact, if he'd pull up a few, and it was incredible the size of the roots that went down in that ground. And matter of fact, some of the weeds were really literally as tall and wide as some of the bushes in his landscaping. Like weeds at times popping up in our yards and growing out of control in our lives, that's the effect that guilt can have in our spiritual hearts. Maybe we attend a class reunion or we run into a college or high school friend at the mall and we sort of turn red-faced when they start to recount some of the things we did in years past. And maybe we really have that aching sense of guilt about that in our heart. Or we're a parent, we wake up one morning and we could kick ourselves because we realize we really didn't handle something real good with our son or daughter the night before. We sort of went over the top, we said some hurtful things, we took the day's frustrations out on them, and we feel guilty about it. Or we're the young person, we're a middle schooler or a high schooler, that at the end of the weekend there may have been a few arguments with mom and dad, and even though you may feel you're right on the issues, you've got that aching, nagging hurt in your heart of that you didn't talk too nicely to two people that absolutely love you. As we remember those who departed in the faith ahead of us on this All Saints Sunday, those who love the Lord, and because of what Jesus Christ has done for them, done for us, they are now in heaven with their crown of righteousness. Sometimes we think back on departed friends and family members. We may feel bad about how we treated them. Things we said, maybe it's the last thing we said to them and we never realized those would be the last words they'd hear from us. Or things left unsaid. Like weeds in a garden, They can sometimes implant themselves, this guilt, deep into our spiritual heart. As we continue today in our sermon series, EKG, where we examine the spiritual condition of our heart, based on Andy Stanley's book, Enemies of the Heart, today we look at the first of four primary spiritual enemies of the heart, and that is guilt. In our Old Testament text for today that uh, Abby read, we see Joseph's brothers dealing with guilt. 20 years of guilt. Two decades had gone by since they had thought the unthinkable of wanting to first kill their brother and then sell him into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. How could they deal with that guilt and that aching sense of I owe that we get when we do things wrong? Well, we're going to learn and examine today how we deal with guilt. And there's two fundamental ways, two fundamental approaches we can look at. There's the way of the world or the way of man, and there's the way of God. The way of the world. 20 years is a long time. For those of us who are old enough, enough years past 20, to think back over those 20 years, a lot may have happened. We may have grown up. We may have raised their kids. We may have come in and out of jobs, in and out of relationships. We may have lost loved ones, added a few wrinkles and gray hairs along the way. Think about how our world has changed in 20 years, how our society has so fundamentally been transformed over the past two decades. I remember it was 20 years ago, and I don't know why I remember the year, but this, on the staff I was on, Sue came up to me, and she said, you know, this thing, and this is 1994, so it's convenient for the illustration, 20 years. She said, Tim, I think this thing, the internet they're talking about is really going to be big. We need to pay attention to it. I'm not sure it was prophetic or obvious, but resulting, either way, can you imagine life today, 20 years later, without the World Wide Web? 20 years. In our text today, a lot had happened to Joseph since he was that 17-year-old kid who didn't expect to have one of the most despicable things done to him and be sold into slavery. 
And he was sold then from the Ishmaelite slave, uh, slave traders to a man named Potiphar. And Scripture says that he served faithfully in the house of Potiphar as a servant. And then one day Potiphar goes on a road trip, and Mrs. Potiphar comes on to Joseph, and he withstands her sexual advances. But that made her mad, and so when the husband comes home, she lies and says Joseph attacked her. When he didn't, the husband believes the wife. Joseph ends up in jail. We know the rest of the story and how the Lord was with him. Twenty years had gone by. Now at age 37, he's speaking Egyptian. He's sitting at the right hand, the number two guy, the prime minister to the most powerful man in the world, the king, the pharaoh of Egypt. A lot had changed for Joseph. But what about his brothers? Had they changed? Well, from our text today, from Genesis 42, beginning with verse 10, we see the brothers, having no idea they're talking to Joseph, say this to him, No, my Lord, your servants have come here to buy food. We're all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, Joseph said to them, You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and the one is no more. Well, after 20 years, Joseph's brothers do seem a little more humble. And in some of the verses that Abby read, you can see some contrition, some sorrow in their heart for what they had done. But little do they realize who they're talking to. And yet they're not being completely honest to this person either. They're being truthful to some extent that, yes, we were once 12, and now we're 11 because one is no more but they're yet not talking about the reason why one is no more. They continue to deal with their guilt in silence. And this is the first way that the world or man in our sinful nature, we try to deal with guilt. It's in silence. We don't talk about it. Twenty years had gone by since they had done what they did to Joseph. They had been lying to themselves, lying to their father, lying to their mothers, and lying to God. And can you imagine the weight of that guilt, that aching sense of I owe in their heart, wondering if their brother was dead or alive, and if he was dead, did he live long? Did he suffer long? Was he lonely when he died? Was he beaten? Um, And if he is still around, does he hate them? How bad is his life? They saw the grief on their father Jacob's face when they took that coat that he had given Joseph. And they put animal blood on it. And they went to their father Jacob. They made him believe that his son had been killed by a wild animal. They saw the grief where Jacob tore his coat and fell to the ground. And undoubtedly saw the pain of a parent for 20 years living with the fact that they had outlived one of their children. The guilt had to be powerful. But they lived in silence. And that's where guilt thrives upon. It thrives upon secrecy. And it's really our human way to try to deal with that aching bad feeling in our heart and all the associated hurts and grudges that go with it. Rather than confess to the person we've wronged, rather than go to our Lord, rather than try to make restitution where possible, we go it alone. We try to silently move along and hope that we can cover up and make it go away. We want to keep our good reputation intact. And the brothers were concerned about that with their fathers, and they agreed not to speak of it ever again. How many of us, if we're honest, we look inside our own hearts that we at times don't try to deal with guilt the same way as Joseph's brothers did, as silent liars? You know, if we're honest, that's true in many areas and realms in our relationships. Do we have a marriage or do we know someone who has a marriage where to the outside world we're trying to make sure everything looks good, the the, the mirror, the mask, everything is great. But we're doing something every day to our spouse that really hurts them and hurts them bad, and we know that, and it's destroying our marriage. But rather than go to that spouse, go to our Lord for his help. 
We just are silent. We cover up. We want to move along. Uh, and we hurt even more. And one principle of human relationships, which is so true, is this. Hurt people hurt people. Have we ever said something really mean when our temper got the best of us and we just feel absolutely terrible about it? Or we say a piece of gossip and it eventually gets back to us that that person knows we said it and we don't realize how bad and deeply it cut to them. Uh, We're all guilty of things in our lives, things that we have done maybe in our past or maybe in our distant past, that it's still living in our heart as guilt and being silent about it doesn't erase it. It doesn't answer it. It doesn't make it go away. And I think if we're honest at times as well, and I don't know about you, but I love the story of Joseph. I love those 13 chapters in Genesis. I think Joseph is so rich in application in so many ways. And yet it's easy sometimes to think, boy, I would never do something like his brothers did to a loved one. And then how could I live in guilt for 20 years? But maybe if we reflect upon it, we do. Sometimes we really do hurt the people we love the most, don't we? I don't know about you, but sometimes the things that I might say or I might do that are most hurtful may be to the people that I live with, that I love the most, that I work with, or my closest friends. And we try to sometimes deal with that, again, by being silent and hoping that that aching feeling of I owe that person for what I've done to them will go away. And sometimes we do get away with the wrong act. Mom and dad never find out. That piece of gossip never gets tagged back to us. We're good at compartmentalizing in our life. But something triggers that hurt. Something trips that aching feeling in our spiritual heart and conscience. And we hurt. And remaining silent and trying to bury it, almost like as deep as my little puppy Ellie tries to bury her bones so no one will ever find it. We try to bury that sense of guilt sometimes in our heart. And it doesn't work. Because the more we ache, the more the condition of our spiritual heart deteriorates. So that's silence. And there's a second way that I think the world, that sometimes we in our sinfulness try to deal with guilt, and that is through blame. We see from our text today, Genesis 42, 22, Reuben, who is the oldest brother, using this tactic. He says, didn't I tell you, speaking to his brothers, not to sin against this boy, but you wouldn't listen, and now we must give an accounting for his blood. He's going back to Genesis 37 when the initial plot came up to do something with Joseph. He said, yeah, no, don't kill him, brothers. And then he went away, and the brothers instead sold him into slavery. And he comes back, and he's a little surprised by it. But yet he was a part of the conspiracy initially, and he was certainly part of the cover-up to his father Jacob and for the next two decades. He could not blame away his accountability and his role. And sometimes we want to do that, don't we? I remember a few years back in a counseling situation. It wasn't here at St. Michael. A man came to me and he said uh, he needed to talk to me. He was having an affair on his wife. He was cheating on her. He's very honest. And he said, "Uh, Tim, I just got to tell you, it's not my fault. I said, okay, tell me more. He said, my wife does not cook for me anymore. She does not clean for me anymore. She's not nice to me. She nags me all the time. And he said, Tim, it's her fault. She is driving me into the arms of another woman. Would not accept any of the blame. My last sermon, I told some stories from my Lutheran high school principal ministry days, and this one just struck me as I was preparing this week for this message on guilt. I remember one first semester, uh, final exams week in January, one of my teachers brought into my office a student, bright senior. He'd been caught cheating on his English 12 final exam. Well, that meant it was an automatic zero, 
It would take his A down to a B minus for the semester. He'd get suspended. And as we talked, I asked him, why'd you do it? And he said, well, Mr. Yule, it's not my fault. There's the opening, okay? Tell me more. And he said, it's my mom and dad's fault. They put so much pressure on me and my brother and sister, you just couldn't believe it. They expect straight A's. And they said, Mr. Yule, it's also your fault. Okay, this is going to be interesting. And your faculty. You put such high expectations on us. You don't know the pressure it drives on us. And he said, it's the college and university system's fault, Mr. Yule. You don't know how tough it is to get into a good school. And I want to get into a top-tier school. And if I'm going to get into a top-tier school, I need the scholarships. And to get the scholarships, you've got to get the A's. And that very articulate young 18-year-old went on and on and on. But never any blame toward himself. And isn't that the way it is with us? Many times we just will fail to take ownership or accountability of what we do wrong. I think increasingly, don't you think we live in the blame society in our country? It's always somebody else's fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the school's fault. It's the government's fault. Well, might be. It's the church's fault. It is the cable repairman's fault. It's the fault of traffic. It's my mother-in-law's fault. It's always someone else's fault. And yet, as sinful human beings, we fall short, and we miss the mark, and we sin, and guilt comes from that. And that's the way it's been since the beginning. Our very first parents, Adam and Eve in the garden, when they committed the first sin, when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God said, don't eat from that tree. And when they realized they had sinned, and the guilt that came, they went into a three-step mode that I think we've been doing ever since as the descendants of Adam and Eve to try to deal with their guilt. And it's this, they tried to hide, and they tried to lie, and they tried to blame. And hide, lie, and blame just does not cut it. We can't, through silence, through blame or denial, erase that aching sense of I.O. in our heart. Nothing less than having that debt paid, debt canceled, will do it. Praise be to God, there's another way. It's the way of our Lord. And skipping ahead in the story of Joseph and his brothers to Genesis 45, we see Joseph making himself known. Chapter 45, verse 1, Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. He weeps so loud that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And then Joseph, speaking to his brothers, announces that it's him. I am Joseph, your brother. Uh, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified and with good human reason to be. But then Joseph said, His brothers come close to me. I am your brother, the one you sold into slavery, and do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save God that, uh, lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then he goes on to talk about for two years there's been famine and there will not be food for another five years. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph forgave his brothers out of the love of God, that love and forgiveness that God had first shown for Joseph. Yes, we see from our scripture readings today that there was some contrition. There was some sorrow in the hearts of the brothers. And Joseph toyed with them a little bit. He made them sweat it out a little bit, of course, to see if their hearts had really changed. And he could see the love they had for their little brother, Benjamin. He could see the care for their father, Jacob. And they could see that his brothers did feel bad about what they had done to the brother who was the dreamer and had that amazing coat who for so many years was no more. God's way of dealing with guilt and removing that aching sense of I.O. from our heart is through confession, 
Through confession, God removes the guilt and the associated hurts and feelings. We heard from our gospel reading today from Luke 15 how it pleases God when we confess our sins. 1 John 1, uh, beginning with verse 8, says, and these should be familiar words. We say these in our more liturgical services in the order of confession and absolution. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The debt has been paid. It's been canceled. God followed through on what he told Adam and Eve in the garden with that very first promise of a Savior in Genesis 3.15. He sent Jesus into this world to live that perfect life that you and I can't lead to suffer and die and go to that cross for every sin that has ever been committed or ever will be committed. Jesus conquered sin, death, and the power of the devil and rose again on Easter morning that all who believe in him may have life eternal with him someday forever. Praise be to God. And we remember that so much on this All Saints Sunday when we remember those families and friends who because of what Christ has done for them have preceded us in the faith and are with the Lord today. Billy was a 12-year-old boy lived on a farm with his little sister Jill and mom and dad. And one day, Billy was out throwing stones in the barnyard. He didn't mean to do it, but he accidentally hit and killed one of his mom and dad's chickens. They had 24 chickens that they used for their egg business. Billy felt bad, but he thought, well, they aren't going to miss one chicken. 23, 24, he'd go bury it. As he was looking for a shovel, he turned around, saw his little sister Jill smiling. And she said, Billy, I saw what you did. And he thought, "Uh uh-oh. He said, please don't tell mom and dad. They're going to kill me. She said, let's make a deal. If you do the dishes every night for the rest of our lives, (laughs) after supper, I won't tell mom and dad. Oh, that's a deal. That's great. Seven days went by. Billy did the dishes every night. On the eighth night, he said, Jill, it's your turn to do the dishes. She said, I don't think so, brother. You don't do them. I'm going to tell mom and dad. He said, go ahead and tell them. I already confessed to mom today. I told her what I did, and she forgave me, and now I'm free, and I no longer owe you. Confession is that first step toward repentance, toward making a change, going to the one we've offended, going to our Lord, making right. It's the first step toward transformation, a change of the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and eradicating that aching sense of I owe someone from our heart. The bottom line is this, God is not a cosmetologist. He doesn't care about the masks we wear. He doesn't care about our surface. He doesn't care about our reputation and all the surface things that we may try to show the world. He's not a cosmetologist. He's a cardiologist because it's a matter of the heart. He's concerned about our spiritual heart. And through confession and his forgiveness and mercy, he wants to eradicate that aching sense of I.O. and guilt from our hearts. And the only way that we can relieve that poison, that toxin of guilt is from our heart, is through confession. Even as embarrassing, even as inconvenient, even as painful as it can be sometimes to do. But of course it was not painless, it was not cheap. What Jesus did for us on the cross to pay that debt of our sins. Guilt erodes happiness. Guilt erodes confidence. Guilt erodes self-respect. And Psalm 38 says so well, guilt can even erode our faith. Unchecked guilt, sadly, is the gift that keeps on giving, and that's one gift we don't want to hang on to. Confession can be a very healthy spiritual habit in our spiritual lives. Just as eating right 
and exercising and not putting harmful substances in our body is good for our physical heart. When I was a little boy, I used to love to go out and play outside in summer till it was dark in those days and age where kids would actually play outside, you know. And I had a propensity for picking up splinters. And early on, mom, I would go to mom and she'd take the needle and, you know, put a match on it, sanitize it, remove the splinter. Well, I didn't like that being done. Like anybody, I want to avoid pain. So I stopped going to mom to remove the splinters. And I'd pick up a splinter and I just hope that piece of wood would go away. It didn't go away. It would just go deeper into my thumb and it would make it more and more sore. And my thumb would eventually get so red, mom would notice and out comes the needle and boy, it hurt 10 times more to get it out. But that little piece of wood had to be eradicated from my thumb because if not, it would only go deeper. It would only cause more pain. In time, it would become infected, and in time, that little piece of wood would break down, and that wood would go into my bloodstream, and it could cause more harmful physical effects. And that's the way it is in our spiritual lives with our spiritual heart. Guilt is like that spiritual splinter. It needs to be eradicated from our heart. It's not going to go away on its own through silence or blame. And if left unchecked, it's just going to sink deeper into our spiritual hearts causing us more pain, and in time may infect us, and in time will spread and affect all of our relationships in life, including the most important relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May our Lord, the ultimate cardiologist, continue to work on our heart through confession and through his forgiveness and mercy, cleanse our heart of that aching sense of I.O., and filling it with his forgiveness and his love and his grace, as we live out our life of service to him in response to his tremendous love, as we seek by the power of the Holy Spirit to connect people to the living God in all of our life and all of our relationships. May God the cardiologist continue to do that spiritual heart check on us as we work on our spiritual EKG. In the name of Jesus, amen.